Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, welcome back from being sick. Oh, last thank you week, so much. It's good to be back. Y- you sound great. I sound you much seem- better. I have a question for you that I've been holding on to. Okay. Um, how do you know if you're getting good at gardening? Things live. <laughs> okay. What if they're just dying a lot more slowly? Like, is that a Then step- you're getting better. Then you're okay. getting better. Wait, it's funny that you asked this because yesterday I sent my husband a picture because I was at Agway buying spray for my trees, which have mildew. Oh, nice. He's like, That's- what are you doing right now? I'm like, I'm at Agway getting fruit spray. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I uh, came home from uh, Home Depot with a couple tomato plants. Oh, yes. Big, like already big ones. I'm not like I'm not crazy dry, like trying to grow, grow them from did you get the specific tomato fertilizer? Yes, I have the specific tomato fertilizer. Okay, you're doing great. But I buckled one of the tomato plants into the front seat of my car, uh-huh. and I took a picture of it and sent it to to Josh. And the tomato variety is called Big Boy, so it's got a little thing. <laughs> and I, was, I don't know why I thought that was very funny. Anyway, here's hoping that I kill those plants very slowly, if at all. If there are tomatoes, you're going to have to send me some. Okay, uh, in the mail. In the sure. mail. UPS. <laughs> USPS. This week, we're here with Dr. Heather Irabunda and Allison Leiby to tackle the following questions. Who in Washington is actually that stupid and who's playing it up? What is medical gaslighting and what makes it so insidious? And are the days of coughing in public over? All this and more right now. All right. The news this week. There's a lot of it. We're going to focus on a couple of stories. Namely, Alyssa, I have a burning question that just like keeps coming up for me. Erin, you know that last week I had to miss your question. So I am so girded for whatever you are here to bring me today. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you're girded. Um, (laughs) I just want to know, you know, are members of the current GOP really that stupid? 
Or are they just playing to a base of people who above all else value stupidity? I think it is a fairly even split. Okay. So I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go through a couple of stories with you that we're both familiar with from this week. And we're going to discuss whether or not this is a reflection of of genuine, authentic American stupidity Mm -hmm. or uh, like stupidity being played like an incurious person who understands the value of playing dumb. Okay. 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 So the first story, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. So I oscillate on this person. Marjorie Taylor Greene is in focus again this week because um, she is being forced to testify on her own behalf after um, concerned citizens have alluded to the fact that she shouldn't be eligible to run for re-election on account of the fact that she was advocating a little, as they said on Arrested Development, light treason. (laughs) Um, Which, under the law in uh, her state of Georgia, would disqualify her from running for, uh, for, for any elected office. So, you know, during her... Her testimony, she's been doing a lot of, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall, which we, I think you and I can agree. She recalls. Is, right. That's, that's played up stupidity. That's like, yes. what, what a lawyer who's like, my client's guilty as fuck. You don't remember. You don't remember being guilty. And that's like, you know, our genius country's get out of jail free card is just pretending to be dumb. It's like written into our laws. If you pretend to be dumb, Nothing can really come for you, mm-hmm. except receipts. Receipts can come for you. There are always receipts. There are always receipts. So, um, Alyssa, have you been following the story of the uh, text messages from Mark Meadows from around January 6th that have, have come Have I been following them? I found a graphic that had them all on them. Oh, my gosh. What a nice, what a clean graphic. Who did that? I know. You, you can thank George Conway for this one. <laughs> what? He was on CNN, so it's funny. I happened to see him on CNN, and they put the graphic up, and I was like, I have to find that. That's a helpful graphic. And I found it. George Conway is like the only Republican who understands graphic design. No. Oh, no. I think CNN did it based on what he was saying. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. But he is the one who caught my eye. Okay. You know, real quick, just this is going to be a catty thing, but I say catty things about women's hair, so I'm going to say something catty about a man's hair. Oh, I know what you're going to say. You just go for it. Okay. When you were a kid, did you ever play that game in the swimming pool where you would like flip your head upside down and and flip flip your hair up? Yeah. The The George Washington? Yes, 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 yes. Girls know what I'm talking about. Anyway, that or anybody who ever had long hair knows what I'm talking about, I think. Um... I think that's George Conway's like vibe. Like he goes into it's, the stylish. It's stylish. like it's like that vibe meets Bill Richardson. Like that's kind of like his that's his sweet spot. Oh yeah. You know that character of the Simpsons Snake? Yes. Also the character on the Simpsons Snake, the bad dude with the forearm mm-hmm. tattoo. Anyway, carry on. That wasn't that was a caddy aside, but let's proceed. What did the text messages say? Okay, let me give you some of my faves. <laughs> Mick Mulvaney to Mark Meadows. Mark, he needs to stop this now. Can I do anything to help? Marjorie Taylor Greene to Mark Meadows. Mark, I was just told there is an active shooter on the first floor of the Capitol. Please tell the president to calm people. This isn't the way to solve anything. Donald Trump Jr. to Mark Meadows. He's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. 
Donald Trump Jr. again to Mark Meadows. This is one you have to go to the mattresses on. They will try to fuck his entire legacy on this if it gets worse. And my personal fave, Ryan's Priebus to Mark Meadows, <laughs> in all caps, tell them to go home. Um, okay, first of all, thank you, CNN, for sort of soft revealing your sources on some of this stuff. Totes. Uh, anybody who looks good in a story this bad, who has previously been look- looking pretty bad, you know, look, little little journalism, you know, info. Anybody who's normally looking bad, looking suddenly good in a story that makes someone else look much worse. They're the source. Uh, often is co- cooperating with the person. Yeah. Not necessarily <laughs> like a source, but at least cooperative. Correct. Or like, if if someone is happy with a story, usually they cooperated with the story. So, uh, not I'm not going to be like, oh, what a hero, Don Jr. And also, like, another aside, the fact that Don Jr., thinks that this is going to be the thing. Totes. Totes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's well, the thing. Well, here's why. But here, here's the thing. This is why you can bifurcate. You can separate these tweets out into who's just dumb and who's te- being the, stupid. The text. The text. Oh, the yeah, text. yeah. Who's dumb and who's being stupid. Because Don Jr., like, his concern was that MAGA people were going to die. <laughs> Like, he's like, yes. like, the whole thing was a bad vibe, but his concern was of a different... It wasn't like, this is terrible for democracy. I think he was more like, yo, we can't have the people who are voting for us get killed. People, Other people won't want to storm things if this happens. Yeah, yeah. Storming is going to go out of fashion if uh, if this happens uh, to end poorly. Um, yeah, the Marjorie Taylor Greene one, I think, I, I, I've been on the fence about her because I'm like, she seems so stupid that there's mm. no way this can't be like a kind of, World Wrestling Federation from the 80s type 100%, of act. 100%. Like a fake half Nelson into a body slam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pile this driver. Is, <laughs> exactly. This is her character. Her character is like, you know, bitchy Georgia suburban McMansion. Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so I always thought that, you know, okay, she's she's just playing it up. But then I saw this one text that made me think, ooh, I think she might actually be this stupid. And it was one where she refers to someone or someone named Marshall Law. M-A-R. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Marshall Law, she uh, she said, in our private chat with only members, several are saying the only way to save our republic, capital R, republic, is for Trump to call for Marshall Law. I don't know. Marshall, Marshall as in Mathers, as in Thurgood. Um, All the marshals. Yeah. Uh, I don't know on those things. I just wanted you to tell him. They stole this election. We all know they will destroy our country next. Please tell him to declassify as much as possible so we can go after Biden and anyone else. So there's a lot of stupidity in that. It's like mm-hmm. one of those Midwestern fruit salads that somehow has like pineapple and marshmallows. Are you talking? Don't, not- don't compare her to ambrosia. Ambrosia is delicious. No, but sometimes there's like jello in it and anyway it's but it's that of stupidity because there's so <laughs> many different elements here that i'm like stupid not stupid um so in our private chat with only members several are saying the only way to save our republic is for trump okay so that part seems like kind of not stupid to me right she's removing herself from from culpability by being like many people are saying um but then she spells martial law like thurgood marshall which mm-hmm. he would be pre- like he should come back from 
He should come back as a ghost and haunt her just for like using a spelling of a fairly <laughs> common name. And I just wanted her to be haunted by Thurgood Marshall. I think it'd be great. Um, Martial law, which is not the way that it's spelled. I understand that some people have trouble with spelling. Mm-hmm. But I think martial law is definitely different than the name Marshall. And if yes. you're an elected official, that's a difference that you should know. It's probably part of your your job to know. Or at least thing. Google it before you say it. <laughs> yeah. But then I go back to thinking, is she just pretending? I don't know on those things. I just wanted you to tell him. That's like eighth grade girl. Yes. Like logic. So, I mean, that's kind of like evil intelligence, but... I don't know. Is she? They stole this election. Back to stupid. Back to stupid. That is. I think that she. I think that she is not a smart person. Like that's. Yeah. Malevolent. Malevolent. I'm not. I am not saying that. Oh, she's not smart, so we shouldn't pay attention. I just. I really think that she's nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, it starts like, okay, smart. And then she ends, they will destroy our country next. Please tell him to declassify as much as possible so we can go after Biden and anyone else, which mm-hmm. makes me think very stupid. Like, yes. Very yes. stupid. Um, it's, you know, we were, we were texting about that show <laughs> on Netflix, uh, the ultimatum that extremely oh, yeah. convoluted Yikes. dating show. And there's a couple cast members on that show who believe themselves to be masterminds but are like in way over their depth 100% like lying about things that it's like no that's what not are you how- doing yeah everybody know you know that's th- these are very easily accessible facts right for us to to have act anyway um that's what this sort of reminds me of a person who is smart about like very very small things can be sometimes a little bit strategic, but thinks they're a lot more of a mastermind than they actually are. Oh, I think that is very, a very deft description of what is going on with MTG. Yeah. Well, somebody gave her confidence that she should Does take, not deserve. <laughs> she should re-examine. Um, there's a few other people that I think that are in the kind of Republican zeitgeist, and I hate that that's even a phrase, um, that I wanted to run past you. Okay. Um, Mark Meadows, really that stupid or playing it up? Playing, playing stupid. 100% playing stupid. Totally knows. Totally knows. I mean, this is, and this, let me just be clear about like how I define stupid, like knowing better, he knows better. You know what is right and what is wrong. And when you pretend that you don't know what's right exists, come on. He knows better. He has existed in this world. He developed this persona, literally, in the last couple of years. You know, it's like when you look back on people's history, you're like, this, when did, when did he get so radical He Hilaria Baldwin. He Hilaria Baldwin. He Hilaria Baldwin. Suddenly he's like, how do you say cucumber? And it's like, Mark Meadows, you're a lawyer. Also, if you look at all the texts that people were sending him on January 6th, he never tells them to calm down. Everything's fine. That, that that nothing bad is happening at the Capitol. Like they all knew it was terrible, and they willfully pretended after the fact that it was not. And that's what is so tragically hilarious about these uh, texts yeah. is that they all knew how bad it was, and then after it was over, they were like, "You guys, they weren't tourists." <laughs> mm, right. Another thing, but here's the thing that makes me think 
maybe gen- authentically stupid because he, as they say, girl bossed a little too close to the sun by being registered to vote in three different oh, states. Oh, yeah, that was something, huh? One, one of like his his home is not a place he's ever lived before. Right. It's a trailer. I, I mean, like, I feel like if you're a public official railing against voter fraud or you know, carrying water for somebody who's railing against voter fraud, you have to make sure that shit is wrapped up tight for you. Totally. You know, I yeah. mean, that, that's what I mean. It's like, he's just, maybe he just was too confident. He thought that nothing would happen to him, but like that just, that's, that's a sloppiness that betrays a stupidity that I think there's some 100% plausible- or, or just this utter hubris. I mean, if you'll remember, I don't know how many years ago it was at this point, but Dick Luger, who was a senator from <laughs> Indiana, yeah. like lost his seat because he didn't really live in Indiana anymore. And that was like before social media. So how did Mark Meadows think that this wasn't going to get found out? I don't know. I don't know because, yeah. Uh, okay. So there, I'm going to give you a couple easier ones. All I righty. Think. Uh, Jim Jordan. Oh, what do I think about Jim Jordan? J G Y M. <laughs> You're like, I Wait a think second. he is stupid. Yeah, agreed. Right? Yes, actually, that's stupid. Kevin McCarthy playing stupid. Mm, push back. He's Hit trying. Me. He's trying to beat a Cheney in a blood sport. That's stupid. Okay, that is definitely stupid. But I think everything he's doing is in service of becoming speaker, which makes it calculated and therefore less stupid. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Kevin McCarthy saying that that New York Times reporting on some of his statements about President Trump in the aftermath of January 6th was 100% false. New York Times was like, "Wait a second, we've got not only we've got a recording of your voice. Yeah, it's not just receipts, it's recording. It's, it's a recording of <gasps> your voice." Lordy, there are always tapes. Yeah, lordy, there are tapes. And Congresswoman Cheney is involved. Like that's that's what I say. Never, never try to beat a Cheney in a no. They sport. bring they bring guns to a knife fight. They bring guns to a they they anything. They, <laughs> they bring guns to to a book club. Like they're they've always got guns. Don't I cannot say anything nice about Cheneys except that they uh, will fight you <laughs> and probably win and it's not going to be nice and um i'm just glad that i'm not being fought by a cheney um okay senator ron johnson he's not involved in like this direct batch of text i feel like he's stupid he's genuinely stupid right i mean he's genuinely stupid he is (laughs) just like he's got the vacant marshall applewhite eyes you know yeah and uh i just i really can't wait for the voters of wisconsin to uh, unseat him this year. He is always saying the opposite of what he said like a month earlier. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, uh, I'm worried about his uh, heavy metal poisoning type. <laughs> like what's chemically going on with you. There's, you are probably not mentally fit to hold the office that you hold type stuff. Um, you deserve compassion and care, but you do not deserve the power that you have. Okay, yes, we agree. Ron Johnson, authentically stupid. Senator Marsha Blackburn, who's uh, oh, who authentically rolls, stupid, rolling into Senate committee meetings like her stylist hates her guts, hates her guts. Um, I don't know. Do you think babies are racist? Wants to build. She just w- wants everyone to know that Tennesseans are in favor of a border wall. Just because it impacts Tennessee greatly. 
being border, so close wait, to a border. Like, what border? Who, what Utterly state, landlocked. What state you trying to keep out, Marsha? Like, spill the tea. Oh, wait. I take it back. She, it was Ted Cruz who asked about whether babies were racist. She asked soon-to-be Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson if she could define being a woman. Was that yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. I, I don't know. I don't May know. have and- also asked Ali Mayorkas. Anyway, she's... She's one for the books. Yeah, she's she's not great. Okay, I'm going to uh, – two more for you. Okay. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's dangerous because I think he's smart, so he's playing stupid. I don't think he's genuinely stupid. Okay, push back on the fact that he might actually be stupid. Oh, there is evidence of this. Please, please do. I There's yield the floor. Two, right, because I think that he seems dangerous, but I also think that he wants to be branded as somebody who's dangerous and perhaps smarter than he actually is. Um, because in the past week, Florida's uh, legislature has sent to DeSantis's desk two laws mm-hmm. that are really stupid. <laughs> One of them is more egregious because it, disenfranchises black voters and uh, gerrymanders the state even more to shit and could possibly hand the GOP, I think, four additional seats in U.S. Congress. It's it's really bad. But that was kind of overshadowed by the fact that on the same day, the state passed a two-page law that revoked Disney's special tax-exempt status. Yes. Two-page two law. So here's something that just came to light today. Uh, which I'm sure Disney knew this whole time, which is why they were just like, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> so since 1967, Disney has had special tax-exempt status in Florida. They were enticed to, to build Disney World in Florida by this status, which is called Reedy Creek Improvement District. Basically, yep. it means that they don't have to pay taxes and apply for permits and 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 build or whatever in the same way that other places in Florida do. They're exempt from like munis- some municipal taxes and stuff like that. Um, they also can issue their own bonds. They they operate as this like independent like government. A little within, oasis. Yes. Within Florida. They're still part of Florida, but not part of Florida. So last week, the state of Florida was like, we're revoking that. You're going to be absorbed in the surrounding counties, Osceola and Orange. Um, today, Disney was like, no. Wah, wah. No, you're not. Uh, because it's written right here into the contract that you guys signed with us in 1967 that says if this is ever dissolved, uh, the state is responsible for all of our outstanding bond, uh, our, our bond uh, responsibilities. There's a billion dollars worth in outstanding bonds that yep. that the Disney Corporation has written uh, on behalf of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which means that if Florida does, in fact, dissolve the special status, they're on the hook for a billion dollars. They cannot dissolve it until they no. pay it. Um, and so Disney was kind of like, hmm, okay, Thanks. See you later. Like, like yeah. they brushed it off their shoulder. Like, uh, they just brushed it off their shoulder. They were like, "Okay, Ron." <laughs> I hate that I'm being forced to side with a giant corporation that has. We're not caused- siding with them. We're not siding with them. We are enjoying the fact that the governor of Florida made this big splashy look at me. I'm such a bad bitch. Move, and they were like, "Precious." <laughs> Yeah, I you know what I think would have been really funny of Disney and I and like they're one company talk they're like the Cheney, the Cheney family yes. of mega corporations. I would just no, not not fight fighting with Disney seems like a uphill battle. Um, 
I think it would be funny if they would have released a statement with the headline, a goofy move, because <laughs> it was a goofy move. Um, it was so Maybe it's funny. I don't know. Maybe it's early. I think it's maybe, funny. Maybe I think asleep. it's funny. I would have loved that. That would have been so funny. A goofy move. Um, okay, goofy finally, move. last but not least, never least, uh, Madison Cawthorn, North Carolina's finest, um, was recently arrested. Wasn't again? He? Again? <laughs> again. He tried to bring a loaded gun to an airport again. But um, this was after being caught on another DUI. Again. He's gotten a few speeding tickets, I believe. Oh, speeding, was, speeding. Okay. Yeah, he's not a good driver, um, but he's also not a good person, um, which probably should be more disqualifying for public office than being a bad driver. I know plenty of bad drivers uh, who would make better representatives than Madison Cawthorn, who attended college, I think, for one semester and got us all a D average. Not that that is whatever. He's. Do you think Madison Cawthorn is authentically stupid. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 100%. Why is he allowed to bring a gun to an airport multiple times without ending up on some kind of no-fly list? Uh, Aaron, that is a terrific question for authorities because it seems like the average bear would be on a no-fly list by now. I don't want to fly. I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're a, you know, Supreme Court justice. I don't want to fly with a person who just like whoopsie doodles forgets <laughs> that they're carrying a gun. He's also brought like knives to school board meetings. He's he's like the kid in school that's like opening a backpack full of fireworks and science. And you're like, look, I don't want to be like the Karen of eighth grade bio, but he, I'm feeling unsafe. I've got to tell an adult here. This is problematic. Yeah, this is problematic. I feel um, like he's authentically stupid. He is. Oh, also, I just wanted to clarify. He drove on a revoked license. He wasn't just speeding. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why? What? Why are are there people? Okay, look, I think we both know the answer to this question, but like, let me ask rhetorically. How are there people who are like, in jail for 20 years waiting for, you know, on dumbass pot charges. And here we've got Madison Cawthorn careening around, endangering people on different forms of transportation. This man is an enemy of getting to places safely. Um, <laughs> he is. White privilege. That's, uh, there you go. Oh, my God. Okay, so that's uh, good. I'm glad we solved all that. It's all, they all have, like, reasonable doubt that they could be. Yes. It's stupid. not, none of this is a, a win for anybody on our list. No, no court of, except Ron Johnson. I think we all agree is authentically, an, uh, authentically an idiot. Okay. Real quick. Um, Elon Musk is buying Twitter for $44 billion uh, to cheers and fears of a p- free speech plan. I guess freedom isn't free. It costs about as much money as Yale currently has in its endowment fund. I had to look that fact up. Oh, no shit. Yale's got $42 billion in its endowment fund, a thing I I learned um, today as I was prepping for the show. And (laughs) Elon Musk is buying Twitter free speech for $44 billion. That seems, I I, I don't know. What do you make of it, Alyssa? Uh, I think it is, you know, I I guess we'll we'll see what comes. Um, It feels like to me, there are so many other things to spend that money on. I mean, because it's it's a very strange thing. By taking it private, they don't have to do 
take advertiser money. I mean, he can really kind of, this is just his venture. He doesn't have to turn a profit. It doesn't have to be profitable. It can be his, he keeps calling it a town hall, a town square, whatever the fuck it is, yeah. that that's what Twitter is. And it's 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 going to just, I mean, I, I it's hard to imagine that it doesn't get even more toxic than it is now. Yeah. I Without mean, just, guardrails. I mean, he calls himself, what, a free speech absolutist? <sighs> I, I don't think I agree with that remotely. Um, yeah. Given some of the things we've seen on, on Twitter, but you know, look, I've, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a bad place for a long time. Have you ever been to a free concert in a park? Only once. Yeah. Right. I I feel like we have similar attitudes toward it. Imagine, uh, if Twitter right now, as it currently exists, being a publicly traded company with a degree of moderation is like a free concert in a park. Not great. Crowded. I'm more upset now than I was. You know, like every time I log on, I, I feel worse when I log off. Always. I'm like, was that worth it? Did I, The time, the thought, you know, the, the anxiety, was that worth it? No. No. Um, I, I feel like it's about to become a free concert in a park with no rules. No and rules like, and no porta-potties. <laughs> nor, no, no porta-potties. We are... Free shit absolutists. Everybody can just poop wherever they want in uh, Elon Musk's Twitter. Um, you know, I I think that, you know, on one hand, it's like it was bad while it lasted. On the other hand, like nothing gold can stay um, because like no, no social media website's going to last forever. And, you right. know, eventually somebody's going to come in and change it in a way that makes it less suboptimal. But Twitter was never optimal in the first place. So mm-hmm. it's like... I don't know. I'm not like as bent out of shape about it as some some people are. I kind of want to wait and see. I also sort of wonder, and this is just just very um this is me just asking questions, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it feels as though this is a financial move for a person who might want to write some stuff off. Uh Twitter's a money loser. Um interesting. Like, this is uh, Twitter's a money loser. Uh, Tesla's kind of starting to see some um, headlines about it's like auto self-driving and summoning features right. and stuff like are sort of reflecting poorly on that company. Um, I just I wonder if this has something to do more with Elon Musk's holistic financial outlook and less to do with a free speech crusade. And just like the idea of a free speech crusade is easier for like John and Jane Q Twitter to understand. um, Oh, I think you're right. Look, he is, he did not get to be the world's richest man by being stupid. Um, And so I'm sure that he sees lots of upside, whether Mm -hmm. it is being able to write things, you know, write down some of his, um, investments, um, do a little obfuscation, a little jiggery pokery, look over here so you don't look over here. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I think that in his mind, this makes him the most powerful man. Like he, he's the richest man and now he controls a space where like hundreds of millions of people go to share information or Mm -hmm. just harass each other. Um, Yeah. I mean, Twitter was already kind of crappy. And I think you and I have both talked about how we'd both been using it a lot less. Yeah. Um, and so I I just think that like with a 
lack of moderation and pure free speech, it's going to be such an unpleasant user experience for so many people that um, I can't see it really surviving as more than like a an 8chan on steroids until it burns itself out. But Well, that's the thing. It's like it's like what you were saying just a little bit ago. I mean, it's it's going to become essentially like the WWF. You know, yeah. this is going to be fighting and hitting people with chairs and here yeah. we go and this is how it was meant to be and it's like that's not what I really ever liked it for. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, I I totally agree. I think it's just going to be like, ah. Uh, like not virtue signaling, like vice signaling from yeah. conservative loudmouths who are just trying to like sick their like bot armies on each other. And it's just, it's just going to, I, I, my hope is that from this reporters and people in the media are going to be able to finally like detach themselves from yeah. the spell of Twitter and understand that like what they're experiencing and, and elected officials, I think elected officials, Get especially older gen x and older need like lack the ability to like differentiate between twitter and real life they're yeah. like too online and the it's just it's really a toxic environment and i hate overuse of the word toxic but it's very toxic so i hope that people are able to sort of like detach a little bit and reconnect with like what actual reality looks like instead of like engaging with this bot infested hell site that just manufactures a never-ending conveyor belt of sadness. Yes. Um, uh, real quick before we take a break, Alyssa, you had some toasts this week. Do you want to call out some um, toasts? Yeah, toast a toast a couple of really women doing cool shit in yes. a place where doing cool shit is very very difficult right now. It is, as you and I both know, we continue to see uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine on the news every night. One of the things that I have, I don't want to say enjoyed about coverage, but that I have found different than in many past, um, I don't know, wars, I guess. Yes, conflicts that we've seen is that so much of the reporting we're seeing is being done by women. Um, They are not just standing on the front lines being like, here's the war as it happens. They are taking us to show us the people who are impacted. Reporters like Isabel Young, Clarissa Ward, who very famously stopped her segment to help old women across the bridge and carry their bags. Um, and I just, uh, they're they are crushing it. They're crushing it. They're there. They've been there almost nonstop in Ukraine and Poland. Um, and it's very dangerous there. And I just, their, their perspective is different than I think we've seen before. And I appreciate the compassion and empathy, which they are, reporting with. Yep. Toast to them. And uh, here's hoping that the conflict ends as soon as possible in a, in a favorable fashion for the people of Ukraine. Definitely. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have a conversation about medical gaslighting, which I think probably rings a lot of bells or triggers a lot of people, but it's something we need to talk about. So let's get into it when we come back. This 
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the show that is sometimes literally about hysteria, right? <laughs> That's a good point. This week, we're talking about medical gaslighting and what happens when you try to go to the doctor and the doctor's like, no, that's not happening to you. You're fine. And you just are like, but it is. And the doctor's like, no, we looked into it and it's not. Or uh, another thing where you um, have something done, you choose to do something and people are like, do you feel, you feel like this? And you're like, no, I don't. I don't feel like that. You're told how you feel. You're told what's wrong with you and you know how you feel and you know there's something wrong and people are arguing with you about reality and it's enough to make you crazy. Alyssa, has this ever happened to you? Oh, Erin, you know it's happened to me uh, at a very young age, as a matter of fact. The first time I went to the gynecologist... Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, Dr. Heather. Oh, boy. It was the first time yeah. I went to the gynecologist and she asked me a question that she really didn't want the answer to. She's like, anything you want to discuss? And I was like, you know what? I sweat a lot. And she was like, hmm? I was like, I sweat a lot. I just, I'm always sweating. And she told me, had I considered losing weight? And I was oh, like, do oh we think that's why I'm sweating? Like, and oh. uh, it turned out when I got another doctor, 
uh, six years later, because I didn't go to the gyno again, because I was so traumatized by the first visit, she was so mean to me. She was like, I mean, she was really just like, have you considered losing weight? Uh, it turned out I had a hormonal imbalance, which was easily addressed by use of the NuvaRing. Hmm. Stopped hmm. sweating. What do you know? And it was like sweat. It was like a sweating, sweating situation. I was like staining my shirts, you know, and I made $19,500 a year at that point. So replacing the shirts was not an option. Not at all. Uh, (laughs) And I was just sweating all the time, all the time. Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, I'm really excited for the panel that we have to expound upon Alyssa's sweaty pits um, because this is is a, a topic that is, I think, really rich and a lot of people carry a lot of anger around with them about this, about being told how they feel, how they don't feel physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever, especially when it comes to issues relating to reproductive health. Um, And I think that women are especially subjected to this um, and have been forever. Um, And, and it's, and it's really, it's, it's really tragic. Um, So Without further ado, we're really excited to bring on Dr. Heather Irabunda. She's a Brooklyn-based OB, a reproductive and sex health advocate, an army vet, and has her own podcast called Advisory Cervix. Such a good title for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Which yes, is a, yes. a, available wherever you listen to podcasts. We're so excited to welcome her back. Dr. Heather, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm glad to be back. Glad to have you here. As always, uh, you're just a, a delight, and I can't think of anyone better to have on this topic. Um, I can think of someone equally as good. Equally, <laughs> she is uh, She is a stand-up, a writer, a fellow podcast host, and she has a new solo show called Oh God, a show about abortion that is currently playing at Manhattan's Cherry Lane Theater April 25th to June 4th. Allison Leiby, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you for having me. What a what a great group. I'm like very excited to talk about this terrible stuff with you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fun I'm excited group. Great. I'm excited too. It, it's, yeah. um, you know, Allison, congratulations on the show. It's Thank so, you. so cool. Um, can you tell us before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty about the the where did the show idea come from and, and your journey from starting to work on it to being here now starting to perform it? Totally. I am, spoiler alert, I had an abortion um, a few years ago. I know. I'm giving away the ending. Um, (laughs) I had an abortion, and I'm a stand-up who writes about the things she observes and personally experiences. So, like, I immediately started writing jokes about it and just, like, the experience. I was shocked. that I had my. This was my first and only abortion. I was 35 years old. I had a lot of ideas of what it was going to be, and then I experienced it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this was, like, not what we are told abortion is. This was a very frictionless, easy experience. Part of that is because of who I am and what I look like and my access. But overall, like, if you're seeking abortion um, in a certain way, it's just, like, you show up, you deal with it. Maybe that decision was hard. Maybe it wasn't, like, whatever. And you go home and you're fine. And I was like, wow, we really don't tell this story ever. Mm-hmm. And so there were lots of like little things and funny moments and 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 I was just like, oh, I need to like tell everybody like it sounds like it's a big scary thing and then it can be not a big scary thing. It can be as routine as the dentist if if all goes to plan. Uh, and so I wanted to tell that story. And, you know, the show is, of course, about abortion, but it's also about grappling with the conflation of motherhood and womanhood and how we are presented with kind of 
limited options for our identities as adult women. And that this experience kind of showed me how much I had to unpack about that and what I thought and my thoughts on motherhood. So it's kind of, it's about abortion. It's a Trojan horse for talking about women and motherhood and the weird concealed lives that we have to live. Mm-hmm. That's that's so interesting. How has you've you've done a couple shows now? Or you've you've done yeah. one as we're recording two. 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 Yes. Um, how has it been going? Like, what's has has anybody? Um, have you gotten any like protesters? Have you gotten any pushback? No, no pro- protesters yet. Though I did get a Google alert this morning that I guess some um, I don't know what word I want to use. Maniac um, has. <laughs> <laughs> I think he calls himself a playwright, but I think the answer is maniac. Um, I guess known that just this say show David was... Mamet. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all know who he is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like some extreme conservative playwright had like known about the show, and I guess like wrote an alternative to it that is just, I believe, like a verbatim transcript of a court proceeding of. Um, the abortion provider who then got arrested for something like what his practices were not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's called like, Oh, Gosnell, the truth about abortion. And like, I guess like the theater that he is performing it at, or like is supposed to have a run at, um, has decided to pull the plug because they finally saw the script and they were like, Oh, this is like horrific and terrible. And like, we don't feel like it's safe for our staff to have to like put up this show every night. And so now he's like claiming that like, safety is the new censorship and all oh this stuff. It's like, obviously, it has, like, nothing to actually do with me. And, like, this guy's, like, off on his own, just truly out there limb and um, oh. is not going to do a show. But I was just like, oh, wow. So people do know, like, the right does know that the show exists. But right. I've had no no protesters and no, like, angry yet. I mean, it's only night two. You know, today's night three. So we'll see. Right. Um, well, you know, it is deeply ironic that the show about abortion is the one that gets carried to term. Yeah. And the show <laughs> about, yeah. uh. Yep. Uh, uh, oh. Anyway, we, we have, we have fun. But, um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, Dr. Heather, um, I would love to hear your thoughts on, um, how, Patients that you encounter and the way that they're told that they should feel about abortion versus the way that they feel. Like, is there is there sort of a gap in your experience as a healthcare provider? There definitely is because I feel like I've had plenty of patients, actually a good number of them, be like, I think I'm supposed to be like more sad about this. <laughs> and like people want me to be more sad about this, but I'm not. And I don't know, like, is there something wrong with me? I usually get that question. Like, is there something wrong with me? Because I'm not like, you know, crying or I'm not sad or I'm actually maybe happy that I'm able to do this. And I'm like, everybody has a different gamut of emotions. I mean, there are also the people who the, that, you know, they feel guilty and it's not because of like their own personal thoughts. It's more so because of what other people have projected on them. So it's just, you meet people at a crossroads. It's a very interesting experience, but there are plenty of people who are like, yeah, this is like, you know, Tuesday, I got to get this done and let's keep it moving. And, you know, if you're not going to be weird about it, I'm not going to be weird about it either. That's like usually how I feel a lot of people go about it. 
Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, um, and correct, jump in if you think uh, I'm, I'm wrong about this. It seems to be like this is a just one of so many ways that people with female reproductive organs are told we're supposed to feel about our own bodies. And um, Alyssa, I would love to hear your thoughts on, I guess, maybe your experience with expectations of how to feel about your body versus like the reality of how people are, how you feel about your body or friends that you've kind of gone through abortions with um, who have had like a gap between expectations and reality. I mean, I had a couple friends who back, back in our twenties, which was when we all lived in group environments. So you knew everybody's business, you know, some of them had not great experiences. And a lot of times it was not because of exactly like Dr. Heather was saying, it's not because of how they felt about what they wanted and needed to do. It's because they went in to whatever clinic they were going to and they got the sad face. Oh, you're here for an abortion. You know, just the tone of voice one of my friends said was like, God, I feel so bad. And and one of the one of the um one of the people who worked at the clinic was like, you know how many women can't have kids if they even want to, right? <gasps> oh. Yeah. She was like, mm, okay. But you know, I mean, luckily it didn't dissuade her, uh, oh, you know, in any good. way. And she she did what she knew she wanted and had to do. And and she's a thriving, wonderful person who has a great life and kids, as it would be. Um, but, I mean, it's just, there's so much, I think, no matter where, which doctor, whether you're going for an abortion, whether you're going to your gastroenterologist or your gyno, that you go in and I don't know... I will, I will make an I statement. I never go in feeling chill. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm always worried about what they're going to say. Did I gain? Like, and I have a doctor now, shout out, Dr. Goldberg, uh, who I am excited to go see. I love to go see. And when I need my next pap, I'm coming to Dr. Heather because I yes! am never again going to <laughs> anyone who's like, like, I will, I am a communicator. You guys all know that I love to say how I feel and what's going on. And the years ago, I go to the ER because I'm having stomach pain and they're like, it's the flu. I was like, this is not the flu. And it turned out it definitely wasn't the flu and I needed a colonoscopy. So I appreciate, though, that Dr. Goldberg heard the words coming out of my mouth, stopped, processed, asked me more questions Mm -hmm. instead of trying to get me to stop talking, which I feel like is always part of – not always. I, I take that back. I did not mean always. In my past experience, I have felt self-conscious about wanting to really talk about all the things that were going on, that they're just going to like roll their eyes and be like, oh, here she comes again. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for me, when I have a pelvic exam, it it usually hurts. And I told that to the last guy I know I went to. I was like, I just want you to know for some reason I like experience pain. Do you know what she told me afterwards? <laughs> There's no physical reason for it. It's in your head. <laughs> What? Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. My one of my <sighs> least favorite pieces of like medical and I am not a physician. I am a furious researcher and by researcher I mean like I'm reading <laughs> scientific articles being like that can't be right. Totally. Or that that must So like the, one of my least favorite uh pervasive doctor attitudes or or opinions and i'm sure dr heather is more like modern <laughs> than this 
is that there are no nerve endings in the cervix, and so your cervix can't cause pain. Fuck you guys. Something hurts. Something's hurting me right now. Oh, my God. Like, if you've ever had anybody poking around in your cervix, that shit hurts. It hurts. Hurts. That shit hurts so much. And there is, I guess, like a pervasive um, doctor misquote or or whatever of, of Dr. Kinsey who found when, like, it's just one of those, like, super far removed things that isn't true that doctors repeat to be like, no, you're not in pain. And it's just like one of those things. Like, I think that the pervasive belief that a cervix can't experience pain directly is part of the reason that doctors are hesitant to issue um, anesthetics for um, putting in an IUD, which hurts so, so bad. There's something too, like, that entire, like our entire like reproductive area is already assumed to be painful a lot because of the understanding of menstruation. And it's just like, I think, I don't know, this is just what I have felt moving through the reproductive healthcare system. And I've always, I've had very good gynecologists that have been very sensitive, but I think there is this understanding of like, well, doesn't it kind of always not feel good? Like, aren't you always, like, I think there's this understanding that like, why dig deeper into like pain that you're flagging when it's like, yeah, but like that's kind of part of this whole thing. Right. Like, it's like the female body's white noise sort of like you just <laughs> yes. ignore the sound of it. Yes. Yeah. And it's, I also just never understand why people like, like, do you think I'm, why would I make up that this hurts? Like, mm-hmm. what am I gaining? Right. I'm not trying to get narcotics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You won't like, I don't get money back. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I want to want to pull something from a New York Times article about medical gaslighting that was published in March. So this is what kind of set my face on fire. Um, research suggests that diagnostic errors occur in up to one of every seven encounters between doctor and patient. And uh, Alyssa, that probably is one of the reasons that when you go to the doctor, you feel like you, you're about to like get into a fight, like a fight or flight, like advocate for yourself conflict type situation. And uh, a lot of the mistakes are driven by a physician's lack of knowledge. Women are more likely to be misdiagnosed than men in a variety of situations. Um, Dr. Heather, what, how big of a problem is this um, from, from your perspective as a practitioner and like what is being done to make it less of a problem? Oh, it's a massive problem. And I think for me, something that really bothers me is being the doctor who sees people after they've been misdiagnosed or not diagnosed for something. So it'll be like, <laughs> like there, there's so many examples of this. It's like actually out of control where it's like, so you're telling me you haven't had a period in two years and you're like 30 years old and you've been to how many doctors and no one thought there was something wrong with that. Like, and you, and it's not like you haven't seen a physician. And the thing that really bothers me about it too, will be like the fact that most of the patients I see are women of color. And so it's like, wait, what? Like, it's like story after story, person after person every day where it's like, so they didn't draw any labs. They didn't do an ultrasound. They didn't examine you. They didn't do anything aside from tell you, oh, your period will come soon or, oh, that pain, it's probably you ovulating or something or whatever. And it's such a pervasive issue where I think what happens is that like 
our field of study, like medicine in general, is very, we're, we're taught this. We're taught to kind of gaslight people, I think. You know, it's part of our training where it's like before we go into a room to evaluate a patient as a student or a resident, our senior doctor will tell us, oh, like he or she probably has this or this is probably what they're going to say. And that's like not true because this person is this age. So there's no possibility that it could be the case. You know what I mean? And it's like it puts that into the brain of the practitioner from training so that by the time you're out on your own, you've been conditioned to think like that. Mm-hmm. The only issue with that for me is that as someone who's also a patient, who's also experienced the same thing where I'm like, no, but actually I do have pain or my periods are really bad or, you know, I think there is something wrong and having that be um, kind of either misdiagnosed or being told it's in my head or I need to lose weight or whatever. I was like, I don't want to ever give that experience to someone else. So like Mm -hmm. anytime you walk into my room, I'm going to just listen, pretend I haven't read your chart, pretend I haven't, you know, seen anything. Because let me tell you what's in the chart sometimes, like it can color how you feel or what you believe to be true. And that may not be the case. And if you don't go into it, sometimes it's like, as I like to say, a new investigator. I like, I feel like I'm always on like CSI. Like, I'm like, Mm -hmm. all right. So like, I'm not even read, like, you know, I'll read it, but like, I kind of disregard it and say, tell me like, I'm the first doctor you've ever seen about this problem. What is going on? Uh Just tell me. And I think that's where it's helpful because there's just so much noise and so much like, and and we're taught to gaslight. Like we are definitely taught to gaslight. So I feel like it's a matter of like really going into it with fresh eyes. And a lot of times you'll find things that you're like, oh, so the last like 10 years of your medical experience, like no one has even thought to do this test or thought to get this imaging study. It's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The advocacy for yourself is such a flip. I feel like I've observed over my adult life, Allison, you and I are around the same age. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember being like young and having to come in and like have a sneaky cheat sheet. Like, And by sneaky cheat sheet, I mean that if there's something wrong with me, if I'm feeling sick, what I will do is I will investigate what I think might be wrong. Or I'll like look on like Dr. Google, I'll find my specific collection of symptoms and think like, okay, how do I present my symptoms to the doctor in a way that the doctor will see as what I think I totally you like present a case study. Right. Like, here is my proposal. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But I don't want the doctor to think I'm telling them because doctors are really vain. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, they're really like, you know, they don't like to have medicine explained to them, just like I don't like to have podcasting explained to me by a a doctor, you know, like I, (laughs) I, I, I don't I don't want like, you know, so I'll try to go in and do like this weird fucked up Socratic method of being like. Well, the bleeding has been sporadic. The uh, clots have been quarter-sized or smaller. And uh, the pain, I would say, feels like a gentle squeezing. I will, like, literally lift phrases from, like, a list of— If it, like, matches what I'm experiencing, I will list 
like phrases that match what you can find on a description of the thing that I think I have. And it's like, Uh oh. Like, yeah, we know, then, we know that, you know, that like, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure. Although, although like, um, although like I, I went in one time and I used the word like subcutaneous and the doctor was like, okay, you have been seeing that. Wait, Eric, my doctor, Dr. Goldberg, I went in once and I was explaining, he's like, so tell me what's going on. So I started explaining it. He's like, Alyssa. I was like, what? He's like, Alyssa. I'm like, what? He's like, how long were you on Google? I was like, just a little bit, just a little bit. He wasn't using it to discredit what I was saying. He just knew that I had then stressed myself out for many days before I saw him. And Mm -hmm. and that, but it was, it is hilarious. I had a a pretty brutal medical gaslighting experience um, in the last year. I have had um, three uh, spine surgeries, discectomies. I have degenerative disc disease, so I... My discs herniate a lot. And during the pandemic, I like, and like, so I know what it feels like when that has happened. I know that pain. I'm very familiar. And I went, I was going to a new surgeon and I had like been having pain and I like went to my GP and I was like, I need a new surgeon. I need somebody like I can barely function. I am like, it is the kind of blinding pain that makes you like not be able to get out of bed. And so I was like, it's getting so bad. It took me like four months to even get in to see someone. And when I got in and they did the MRI and they were like, oh, this is fully collapsed. Like, this is really bad. Like, you definitely need surgery. And then when I called to schedule the surgery, the response was, when you came in, you just didn't really seem like you were in a lot of pain. (gasps) So we don't know that you need. And I was like, I get it. You don't want to just, like, operate on somebody who requests a surgery without, like, being sure. But I'm like, we have medical imaging. I have had three surgeries already in the last, like, 15 years. And I ended up needing a spinal fusion. And finally, like, they made me do rounds and rounds of steroid injections oh, instead God. just to try, which, like, oh my God. would last for, like, 24 hours. And then when, and, like, and, like, my surgeon was very under, like, I he was actually quite ready to do surgery. His medical practitioner, a, a woman on his team was the one who I kept getting interfaced with. And she Smarty. was the one who was, like, super doubtful and was, like, go do this. I don't know. I mean, we just saw you and you <gasps> seemed fine. I don't think that you're really a candidate for surgery. And then when they, when I finally had the surgery after like two months of pure hell, my d- surgeon was like, we were like surprised you were standing up straight. Like we got in there. Oh the surgery God. was supposed to be like two and a half hours. It took six. Oh like it was God. just like this brutal. And like, I'm great. I'm amazing. This fusion was like the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've had not one day of pain since I did it in January, 2021. But oh, good. it was like, I was like, wow, I could have been, I'm so out of pain for the first time in what is actually years that I'm like, wow, this could have been sooner if like people had just like listened to me. Yeah. But also I was like, well, maybe they're like, I did second guess. I was like, maybe this isn't as bad as I think it is. I'm (gasps) like, I knew it was. And I still like, like other people telling me like, no, you're not in pain because you're not expressing the expectation physical pain experience that we all identify oh. as back pain. When really, and also I'm young. You've so. been dealing with it for years and you just accept it as part of your routine yes. now. It's part of your yes. day. Yes, Ugh. exactly. And so like you learn to cope, m- maneuver around it and cope mm-hmm. with invisible pain. But then like, I'm like, I, if I'm coming to the doctor, I promise you it is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. I do not, I do not enjoy these surgeries. They are not super fun. <laughs> Very few people actually enjoy coming to the doctor. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what I try to tell so many of my colleagues is that like, 
most people, like, I feel like we always yeah. assume the worst in people. And it's like, honestly, most people don't want to be sick. Most people don't want to be in pain. Most people actually don't want to be like taking pills or whatever it yeah. is or have surgery. So like, let's go into these interactions with that lens. And then mm-hmm. typically mm-hmm. Totally. you can figure out what's actually going on with people's like health. Because I think mm-hmm. that the totally. the constant like, oh, I mean, they must be lying. It must not be as bad. They probably want this. They probably want that. It's just simply not true. Right. In most cases. You don't need to like create like intrigue. You're not writing a script <laughs> where you're like, how do I up the stakes of this scene? Make everyone a liar. It's like, no, most people are telling you the truth. Yeah. yeah. There was a moment when they were looking at my, and like, we're like in masks at this point. It was obviously like during, I'm like during the pandemic, during life. Um, <laughs> it's all the same now. Um, but like <laughs> I was wearing a mask, like, but like when my surgeon finally showed me the MRI during that for, and I like kind of like smiled and, but like, I was like, this is a relief smile of yes. like identifying that this is a real problem. And that problem has actual solutions mm-hmm. instead of like, oh, I have to live with this for the rest of my life. And I even right. feel like that, like, not that that's the wrong reaction, but I think probably there's some conditioning of like, oh, well, you can't be that upset about this or like this might you, – you can't be in that much pain if like this feels like mm-hmm. something that you would respond that way to. Right. I feel like people who have chronic health conditions deal with this, especially like women with chronic health conditions. Totally. Deal with this a lot, Allison. Like, um, like maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago – we called for submissions from our listeners about like times that they went to the doctor and had like experiences that um, were upsetting to them. And, you know, I get that there are reasons from the perspective of a healthcare provider, like the mess of insurance, like the, the nightmare of the American healthcare system. They spend so much less time with patients than they would prefer to. And so much time, like, mud wrestling with these <laughs> middlemen that it's totally. it's like totally. I, it, their job is is harder than it needs to be because of this like added layer of bullshit so i don't want to like demonize doctors and providers across the board Not but i do want to say that we got so many people wrote in who are like i have pcos and mm-hmm. every it's poly uh polycystic ovary syndrome is that correct Doctor? yes okay um <laughs> or like it. i have endometriosis or mm-hmm. like uh, you know, a uh, Lyme disease or some kind of uh, something that is chronic. Yes. Uh, PCOS and endometriosis, of course, extremely common. So many people have the, have those things. And it seems like for a lot of people, every time they go to the doctor for it, it's like a brand new fight that they have to have. Mm-hmm. And Heather, you're you're nodding. Oh, yes, because I even see how people come to me as new patients with these issues and they're like ready to fight. And I'm like... <laughs> Listen, like, I'm not going to fight with you. If that's the, like, my thing is usually like, the only thing I'm asking is like how you got the diagnosis because there are so many like, you know, providers, people out there who do like not so great medicine that I just want to make sure that we are dealing with the right thing so I can treat you appropriately. But I feel like because of such like so many bad experiences and people questioning um, whether that patient has that particular condition. And if you're dealing with a chronic medical condition, you go to a new doctor, you're like, I'm ready to fight because they're going to tell me. Like, because sometimes people walk into their doctor's office and the talk is like, let me tell you what we're not going to do right now. So you say you have endometriosis. I'm not giving you narcotics. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And I'm not doing that. 
period. And you're like, well, that doesn't really make people feel like warm and fuzzy. Like, okay, like we're partners in this and we're going to like get healthy together. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you're starting this relationship with like a list of demands. And so right. like- the, the doctor comes in and is like, prove to me you don't have Munchausen's. Like- Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's why I'm always like, tell me your story tell me your story, tell me what's going on, and then let's see what we can do about it. And I think that why a lot of people tend to have like a breakdown in their relationship is like with any relationship, communication, core communication. So like, if you don't think that a patient has a particular diagnosis, there's a way of saying that, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not saying, no, that can't possibly be true. Or no, that like, you know, it's in your head. You're not feeling what you're feeling. You can say that, hey, I'm not sure if that's what you have. Like, these are the reasons why. Um, But that doesn't mean that you don't necessarily have it. It's just that these are the things we typically see with that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's a way to validate people's experiences, their lived experiences without saying, no, I think you're a liar. You know what I mean? Because it's not a lie, you know? And hey, people don't always follow the textbooks, right? There's like the textbook, like, you know, if you have PCOS, like you don't really get your period that often. Like you might get more acne, you might not. Then there are the people who don't have any of those things, but still have PCOS. Like you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't just tell people, oh, like, you don't look like any of the PCOS patients I've had. You don't look like you're in that much pain. And, or like, you know, you can't possibly have endometriosis. My favorite is when people tell patients they don't have certain things and they've never done any of the workout. Like, you haven't even tried to prove to the patient or yourself that you think they're lying. Like, you're just like, no, it can't be. Bye. (laughs) Like, right, Right, right. Right. That's, ugh, it's, it's so awful. I, I mean, look, I have asthma, which is nothing like PCOS or endometriosis, but it is like a pervasive thing, like worrying about whether or not you're going to have to breathe. And I can (laughs) always tell when I'm like getting into a phase where I'm like, okay, I need something a little bit more. Like I need to start taking a daily inhaler instead of just relying on my like rescue inhaler. There was a period of time where I was taking, um, I was taking my rescue inhaler, like four or five times a night. I was like waking up and I needed it to breathe. And I had a really hard time getting anybody to like prescribe me something harder core. It's like, you think I'm getting high on Advair? (laughs) (laughs) Like what, what possible benefit could this have to me? Like what, why, why would I lie about needing more? Like, you know, why don't you try like, you know, maybe, maybe you live in uh why don't you try like ventil getting an air purifier? No, I know it's as it's my asthma. Like just, just help me. My lungs open up. It's like very frustrating and, and, and exhausting. Um, I wanted to pivot back to abortion because, um, Allison, you said something or no, Alyssa, you said something earlier about, um, what about women who can't have kids or what, you know, Allison, have you gotten any of, of that in, in response to your show? And like, what do you make of, of, of that? I have not gotten any, I mean, no one who has seen the show has had any reaction beyond like, thank you for saying a lot of these things. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I the, sh- pres- the, the title is pretty like, you know, yeah. the sh- Yeah. It's like, you know what it's like. And, and the title is like, you know, it's a reference to both like 
oh God, a woman talking about abortion for an hour. Like, <laughs> you know, the way our culture thinks about what that comedy might be. But then it's like, oh God, like abortion, like we don't talk about this enough and we need to. And it's, it's in crisis, even though it's not. Um, no one who is like, no one has like brought up the idea of like women who struggle with fertility and the concept of abortion. And I address it like a bit in the show and like talk about why there's trauma porn built around the idea of like a woman wanting and not having kids, but there is not trauma porn built around any other thing that women want and Mm. not get. Mm. And like still absolutely acknowledging that I can't imagine and that must be a devastating moment. But at the same time, like we are all different. Women are not monoliths and like we want different things and we have to do different things to get those. And career or creative pursuits and homeownership and travel are also valid things that people really want in their lives and can't have. And like children are not the only way that women can reach full um, realization in our culture. Mm-hmm. And we just don't do this with men ever. Mm-hmm. Um, we Most people don't know if the men in their lives are fathers or not. Um, but everybody can identify every woman in their life as either a mother or not a mother. Mm-hmm. And I think like if we could unpack that stuff, then like the discussions of you're having an abortion, what about women who don't have kids? Like right. becomes less of this like big problem and more of like, oh, you're not having kids. Oh, she can't have kids, but is doing this. And oh, she's doing like, there can be more of a spectrum of how women engage with the idea of motherhood mm-hmm. instead of just like how we are destined to be like predestined to be mothers. And if you are not fulfilling that you are somehow insulting somebody else just because they want it. Right. Well, as you were, as you were talking, I just made me realize like how women's choices are viewed as something that must contribute to some sort of collective. They're not allowed to just act as individuals making choices for themselves. They're the ones that are responsible to the world around them. We're the ones that are like, I mean, and and it extends to just the way that we're taught to socialize. Like, have you ever been in a conversation with mostly men and you're like, why am I hosting this conversation? (laughs) Every time. Every time. Like hosting, like not not as like a confrontational host, but like I'm going around offering hors d'oeuvres to everybody. I'm the only one asking questions. I'm the only one pushing it forward. Or like, why am I the one responsible for this party being fun. Like why am right. I the, and, and I feel like that just is a, is just a kind of micro version of the ethos of like, if you choose Allison to not have a child, that somehow is a reflection, like that's somehow you shirking your responsibility to mm-hmm. everyone else who might want one because everyone else is entitled to. It's you. like an affront. It's yeah. like, yes. how dare you? Because yes. she can't. And so you're right. selfish. You're an asshole. Right. You have, right. God gave you, God gave you this ability and you're just giving it the middle finger because you're an Ooh, asshole. Yep. That's kind yep. of what right. it comes down to. Right. Yep. And it's and it's really like, and it's really shitty. And, you know, and it, it also sort of, I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about things that make women and uh, things that make women happy and things that make women sad. And like mm-hmm. the things that we know uh, that are backed up by data 
and what makes what actually makes women happy. And like the happiest group of women are women without children who are not married. That is statistically mm-hmm. that <laughs> doctor. We did it. <laughs> statistically, that's true. And that's not to say that every single woman who is married is going to be sadder than every single woman who is not married, or that every single woman is going to become less happy when she gets married. I'm just saying that statistically as a population, mm-hmm. it is something that decreases the number the amount of happiness. Now, like the saddest group of men, single men are not married. So marriage as an institution benefits men at the expense of women and so does having children. But we have all these parties before these things that we know make women sadder. (laughs) Like we have... You know, for we have, sure. We have like a big fuck. Oh, you're a every princess. woman involved. Yes, every single Guest, woman. Guest. Host. We're like, we're all going to show up to have a, a big, you're a big princess. You're doing the right thing, honey. And it's a decision that is statistically probably going to make her sad. <laughs> and like, and it's and it's funny because like you know, look, I I um I feel like I having my first child at age. She was born when I was 38. I got pregnant at 37. Um, I came into the decision to have a child with a very clear, clear as possible sense of the idea that I'd have to kind of change the way that I think about my life and the way that I think about the happiness that I once had is I'm going to have to come up with a new standard of like what is happy Mm -hmm. and what isn't happy. Like right now, happiness is a shower. You know, <laughs> totally getting a nice shower and like raising my arms above my head and not being like, that's <laughs> time. I smell Ripe. my de- I smell my deodorant a little too much. You know that de- where you're like, uh, anyway, um, I knew that like my happiness was going to change and there was going to be a, a cost to this decision for me that was like exactly taken from me in my body. But I feel like we so often, as we paint over the fact that an abortion, like Allison, you say in your show, and you've been saying in this conversation, an abortion can be a great decision. I've had an abortion. Totally. I've yeah. had two. Um, and after the second one, I felt great. Like once all of the physical stuff was done, I was like, who boy. Glad, glad that I had that. And the life yeah. that I lived in the years after I had that abortion was a were some of the best years of my life. And, you know, I don't think that that experience is really represented in pop culture. Um, thank goodness I agree. that I was able yeah. to have that experience. Um, I'm, I wish that I had never been pregnant. Nobody wants to go to the doctor for any reason. So I would right. have preferred to not have to ever have done it in it's the first place. It's still a whole Saturday. It's annoying. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, the most devastating part of my abortion was when I left and they were like, you're going to bleed for a few days like your period and you can't use tampons. You have oh, your pads. Yes. And I was yes. leaving. I was leaving and going to Miami for work for a week the next day. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not wearing a pad in Miami. <laughs> it's just oh my not God. happening. <laughs> And that was awful for me. That was a loss. <laughs> After you have a yeah. baby, it's like six weeks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oof. But it's something that I was prepared. You know, it's something that, like, I feel like I was pretty set up for. Like, uh, getting very sad, not having enough sleep, being very, very anxious. Um, I'm taking care. I am responsible for keeping a human alive. And that's mm-hmm. not represented in culture really either. And I think that we're coming to this really cool moment where we're seeing Allison – like your show is something that is like, you know, having a, a 
pretty sizable run in yeah. New York City. And like people are coming and people are excited about it. And also I think we're being honest about like kind of the downsides of motherhood as well. Not the downsides, but just like what really happened. The realities. It's the truth. Yeah. The realities of motherhood. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Heather, I wonder, I, I want to like give you final thought here before we have to take a break because I think we could really, you know, we could really talk about this for a long time. But um, <laughs> I think what would your suggestion be to women who are experiencing something that feels off from what they're told they're experiencing by either their healthcare professional or by society, like as a medical professional and as a woman, like how do you confront being told that you're feeling wrong or being told that your pain isn't real? And uh, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, there's a few ways you can do it. Sometimes it's like you can either be confrontational about it or non-confrontational. It's really up to you. Sometimes people are like, listen, I'm just that throws off my vibe. Like, I don't like that. And so they'll go and find another provider. Right. And I think that's possible because like, if you feel like, listen, I'm just not going to be able to communicate with that person in the way that I need to, then just, you know, chalk it up. And if you have the ability, find someone else. But then they're the people who either like me, who are a little bit more confrontational, or if you're in a position where you can't just like go find someone else or not have that conversation with that person in your life, you know, you really have to be honest and be like, hey, listen, like, I understand that you may think that this is in my head or you may think that this is not real, but I'm just telling you, I have no... I get nothing from like lying to you. I get nothing for, for making this up. I'm not seeking anything. I just want to know what's wrong with me so I can figure out how to proceed. And if you could tell me why you think that this is not real or that it's in my head, I'd really appreciate that because I think what happens is that people use that language of it must be in your head or you're not really experiencing that as a conversation stopper, right? Mm -hmm, Especially mm -hmm. in medical settings, it's like, oh, we're at minute 14 of this 15-minute conversation or appointment that we're supposed to have. And I really don't have time to get into all the weeds about why I don't think you have whatever you have. And it's like, sorry, that that just doesn't work for a lot of people. And so sometimes you're going to have to explain why or why not you don't feel that way or whatever the case is, but like it can't be used as a conversation stopper. So that's why I say force people to have the conversation because that's, to me, is part of the reason why they they say those things. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, now that I've said that, you have to like go back and go back to the drawing board and figure out mm-hmm. what it is. Like, at least you're not going to take up any more of my time. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's not fair. That's not okay. And you're owed an explanation. So I think having people clarify why they believe that to be the case is important. Mm-hmm. Dr. Heather, I said that you would have the closing remarks, but you're a regular on the show and Allison Leiby is a guest. So I, I don't want to be rude yeah. to our guest. So, um, Allison, what is something that you have learned from performing a show about abortion that you didn't know before you were performing about the show, uh, about abortion? I think that like, there are way more people around you who have personally experienced abortion than you will ever know. And multiple times in the first, like, developmental workshop uh, part of the show, like, two or three years ago, um, multiple people in the audience 
confessed to their friends after seeing the show that they had had an abortion that they had never revealed to a very close friend. And Mm -hmm. it's just made me realize, and like, and I even saw in myself as I look back, like I held on to it for a couple of weeks. And normally I tell my friends everything that happens to me all the time immediately. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that if like no one should feel pressure to talk about their abortion, it is not anybody's business, but your own. But if we're being realistic, it is a huge swath of the population that has gone through this experience. I mean, 50% of us, at least that I know of on this podcast currently have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it, it just like, it opened my, I was like, oh, you're, no one is alone in this and no one has the exact same experience as you in this. And that the more these conversations begin to organically grow from, hopefully from things in pop culture, like my show, but also just in honest discussions that I think that's like the biggest, best thing that can happen about abortion right now is just to have those conversations be wider and broader and for people to feel free and able to talk about it without the fear of like shame or judgment or pity or anything like that. And mm-hmm. and if we stop viewing abortion with those lenses, then we can all just talk about it as this thing that happens. Mm-hmm. This thing that happens until Texas makes it illegal for it to happen. Oh, why'd you have to to remind us? Sad trombone. Um, I I think that, no, I think you're absolutely right. It's super common. And uh, the more it's normalized, I think the less easy it is for lawmakers to justify pretending like it's not. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got Dr. Heather and Allison Leiby sticking around for I Feel Petty. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not quite. We have a little bit of housekeeping, and then I feel petty. Housekeeping. Check out Hot Take, the newest crooked podcast that provides an honest look at the climate crisis and all the ways media and society are talking and not talking about it. On the latest episode, hosts Mary Anise Hegler and Amy Westervelt break down the origins of Earth Day and name the biggest enemies in the fossil fuel industry. Love a list of enemies going to tune into that. New episodes of Hot Take drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, They were also on last week. Delightful. Love them. Okay. House has been kept. Let's get on to things that we feel strongly about, but that don't matter very much. It is, I feel petty. Uh, Dr. Heather, I'm going to have you go first. What are you feeling petty about this week? So I took a flight on Friday after they've lifted the masks thing Mm. on public transportation. And the lady who was sitting in the row in front of me was coughing throughout the entirety of our flight with no mask on. Mm. And I was one of like a handful of people who had a mask on on the whole flight. And I was like, of all the people on this flight who should have a mask on, it should be your little coffee, coffee, coffee 
coffee self. <laughs> and so <laughs> I felt super duper petty about that. And I just gave her the evil eye that she could not see from the row behind her. But I was very <laughs> upset. <laughs> and I was like, literally, like, I want to take the mask off my face and put it on you. It would probably be helpful for the rest of us on the flight. Oh, my God. Coughing in public is now a thing that I am just like, excuse, excuse, excuse me. You. <laughs> exactly. Take yeah, that outside. Be like yeah, it would be like someone just like walking through, walking around in public farting loudly. Like it's <laughs> yeah. a similar emotional response from me. I was like getting my my car, like doing regular maintenance on my car. And I was like in the like customer waiting area. I was wearing a mask. I've got a baby at home, but also I don't need to tell fucking anybody why I'm no. wearing a mask. Just whatever. You know, I'm choosing to, to do that for as long as I have a tiny little person I'm taking care of. Uh, and I care about other people. This woman's like, <laughs> just like <laughs> she's like pouring herself coffee with the like community oh thing. What the <sighs> fuck, lady? Oh my gosh, I, I so feel that, doctor. Um, okay, uh, Alyssa, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, so you guys I had COVID last week, wasn't great, but when I finally tested negative, all I wanted was a milkshake. That's all I wanted. And I'm not going to lie and pretend like I don't eat McDonald's on occasion. I do. The French fries are great. So I go to the new McDonald's in town to get a milkshake. So excited. And they give it to me and it had whipped cream on it. Okay. No. Hard. <laughs> no. The milkshake unto itself is plenty. The whipped cream had a funny taste and it was so depressing and upsetting because I had not had, so I took Paxlovid while I was sick, which is the Pfizer mm -hmm. COVID pill. And it, um, one of the very, very common side effects is that it gives you a terrible taste in your mouth. And so I had been mm. looking forward to this milkshake. Like, you have no idea. I was like, give it to me. Give it to me. I acted like a four-year-old. She hands it to me, and I'm like, what, what is this? Like, what's this? And she's like, it's your milkshake. And I was like, why is there whipped cream? She's like, it comes with whipped cream. I'm like, shouldn't you say that? And she was like, what? I was like, I'm not going to be a dick. It's not her fault. So I pull away from the drive through window, and I just sat there. And I like took a taste and I was like, this fucking sucks. And I got out of my car and I threw it in the garbage can because it was ruined by the whipped cream. So there, that's some Did you then shit. get some Did you shit. then get a replacement milkshake or like no, one somewhere else no, to satisfy I that itch? Oh, I didn't. No, no because, because I was mad at that point. I was like, mm -hmm. well, fuck that. What I did do, mm -hmm. actually, funny that you ask, I went home and made the Allison Roman shallot recipe. Not mm -hmm. to put on pasta, but pierogies, which my neighbors had brought over because Ooh. I needed something to get the taste out of. of now, not only did I have the Paxlovid taste in my mouth now, I had fake whipped cream taste in my mouth. So I was like, we're going to new broom sweep clean. We're just going to put shallots, anchovies, and some hot peppers in the mouth <laughs> all day. Okay. I respect that. You can't you can't do just the half Karen. You're going to care and you got to go full Karen. But I didn't, but that go. was the thing. It was my, my look. I'm a middle-aged white lady. I know I got a little Karen deep down inside, okay? I know I got a little bit. But I stopped myself because it wasn't her fault, okay? Yeah. It's McDonald's right. policy. It wasn't her fault. And I walked mm -hmm. away. Okay, so in my view, 
I didn't Karen at all. I yeah. shoved Karen back down into the deep dark place where That's she true. lived. You did during my you period. Did. Okay, Karen only exists around my period, and <laughs> I stopped her. Valid. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I rescind my. Thank you Karen so much. Comment. Thank you. I, I, I grapple with enough. I don't need to be I, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I called you a garden gnome the other week. So oh, I adorable. feel like I wait I until you like, see the garden gnome. I got. I need to dial it back. Oh, I've seen the garden gnome. No, there's a new one. There's a new one. There's, there's a, new, a new, one. new garden gnome? Good Lord. Okay. So I'm going to go next. Here's what I'm feeling petty about this week. I just watched The Batman, which is really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, Zoe Kravitz is the perfect Catwoman. She's so good. It's a really good version of Batman. It's like a really, I, I think it, you know, it has, a, it's not per- a perfect movie, but it's a good version of what it is. And uh, great use of Nirvana. Never seen Nirvana used better in a soundtrack. But here's one thing that kind of stuck to me that sticks to me a lot when I watch movies. And this is this trope where, you know, there's a care. It's like about to be the turning of the tide and the uh, the bad guy is finally about to to get his, you know, it's like. And, and what happens is a character turns on the news and a headline on the news is like, da-da-da-da-da was revealed today to be involved in a smuggling ring. And they're the subject of the story. Like, we can now report breaking news that, uh, you know, Bart Harley Jarvis is, you know, <laughs> behind, uh, is behind a, a string of corruption in City Hall, whatever. But here's the thing. If you are the subject of a news story that is huge breaking news, you are contacted by the outlet before they run the story. You know that the story is running. No outlet would run with something unless it was like explode. Like no editor would be okay with running something without you at least reaching out for comment. Like, you know, you, you, you send an email, you give them a call and you're like, hi, I'm a reporter on deadline. This, uh, you know, I'm writing a story about X, Y, Z. Like, um, just over the past couple of weeks, Taylor Lawrence uh, was talking about libs of TikTok, which is this popular account that is sort of just like creepily scrapes videos of progressives and just reposts them uh, and was doing so anonymously, but in a way that was sort of feeding Fox News. And this person was going on Tucker incognito and they were giving interviews to the New York Post. So it was very clearly somebody who it was in the public interest to to know who they were. And so Taylor Lawrence wrote a story. But anyway, this person knew the story was coming. These people, you have to tell people. Like, it just, look, I'm sorry if if this piece of information means that now you know too much and movies are going to be ruined. But no reputable news organization would ever run a breaking news, you know, bottom third headline without reaching out to the subject of that headline for comment. So it doesn't work. That trope doesn't work. And that's what I'm feeling petty about this week. That was a good one. Um, okay, Allison Leiby, what are you feeling petty about this week? So for exercise, I swim at the YMCA. That is my exercise. And I've like taken a little break, but I'm getting back into it as I get into a routine for this show. And I've been a swimmer my whole life. I swam competitively from like 8 to 16. I swim for exercise all the time. I know how pool rules work, and there is a lap swimming etiquette to somebody going faster. And usually l- lanes are broken up at lap swimming pools and t- by speed. 
But I think that that's wrong, and they need to split them up by if you understand the rules of lap <laughs> swimming. Because like, if you're going like I'm a I'm a pretty fast swimmer in the scheme of who goes to the YMCA at noon. It's not a high bar to clear. Um, <laughs> but if I'm swimming like laps, and there's like one or two other people in the lane, and we have to circle swim, like it's hard for me to get an exercise in because like every forty seconds I'm back around, and you need to just let me pass. And a lot of people, men, <laughs> don't respect this because they don't like the idea of someone being faster than them. And so they'll just start sprinting and waiting at the wall and trying to, like, time out not letting me do that. And instead, then my workout just isn't very good. And it, I really – I guess I'm just, like, mad at men. It's not as petty. It's more global. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I want – you know, I think, like, you should have to, like, prove you understand how this works and you should have to know, like, if someone is behind you, you have to let them go in front of you so that they can keep going because otherwise I'm not getting my – not a lot of money's worth. It's the YMCA. It's, like, a very good price. Um, so it's it's very, it's very frustrating because I want to go and just be able – that's why I usually go at noon. It's, like, no one else is there and I don't work, so <laughs> – um, that sounds like a great, that sounds like a great, uh, way to split things up. So how yeah. do you discern between a person that understands the rules and a person that doesn't understand the rules? Like before they get in the pool, there's no way to know. But okay. once they get in, like there are people, mostly women who like happily are like, oh, do you, I'm going to wait, you go ahead. Like who will get to the wall and no one behind them. And they'll just kind of move over and like, let me keep going. And like men will just be like, i I can I can beat her. <laughs> like, uh, you can't. I was like a nationally ranked swimmer in high school. Like I promise you, I'm gonna be faster than you all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. I promise you, you, you cannot, you cannot beat me. You cannot beat me. You cannot, you're the Batman of the water. In yes, a way. I am. Um <laughs> I don't know what that even would entail. Uh you're sad if you're the Yeah, I was gonna say trauma. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. The the bat is trauma. Um yeah, I think that makes sense. They should do that at airports too. They should divide yes. the lines between understanding the rules uh, doesn't understand. Yeah. I think a lot of our society would be smoother if people would just acknowledge when they don't know how things work and like let people who do know how things work show them the way instead <laughs> of just like forcing this assumption of like, yeah, I know I don't have to take my shoes off or I do have to, or whatever the hell is going on at TSA right now. It's <laughs> truly, yeah, every line is different. <laughs> yeah. Every line is indeed different. And with that, that's the show for this week. Dr. Heather Irabunda, thank you so much for joining us. Allison Leiby, um, tell the listeners again how to see your show. Uh, if you're in New York or near New York or coming to New York, it is at the Cherry Lane Theater in the West Village from April 25th, which has already passed, uh, through June 4th. Uh, every night of the week except for Sundays. It's at 7 o'clock every night. And you can get tickets at ohgodshow.com. Or you could follow Oh God Show on Instagram and they it posts updates and things like that as well. Amazing. Well, I hope a lot of our listeners are in town because also Cherry Lane is a great venue. Mm -hmm. It's the oldest off-Broadway theater in New York. It's like a very beautiful, it's on the cutest street, street oh in the gosh. West Village. It is. It's on Commerce Street. It's adorable. Yeah, it's like it's that really little cute. like 90-degree angle street. Yeah. And, uh, and I've been trying to tell uh, straight single men who are out there who are looking for cool women to ask out. Uh, they're at the show, so come to the show. <laughs> oh, and it's so, it's so picturesque. Imagine having met your wife outside of a show about a boy <laughs> in the most picturesque 
of New York. Rom-com street. It's a rom-com street. 100% a rom-com street. Um, And uh, Alyssa, thanks for being my ride or die. I'm so glad you're better. I'm so glad you're back. I missed you last week. I lost my voice after doing the show. I could tell it was going. It was, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome, um, welcome. <laughs> I, lost, I need you. I need you. I need you. Don't ever get sick again, please. And uh, listeners, thanks to all of you. All of you, if you like what you're hearing, you can go ahead and rate us and review us. That helps people find the show. Tell your friends. If you have friends that don't already listen. And uh, there will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation is our Janet. But these girls got a fan it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an answer. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.